0: God. And tonight, uh, this talk, uh, I always like to give them a title, and this one is God Looks at the Heart. Okay, and hopefully, as we get towards the end and the conclusion, that'll start to piece together. But um, we're going to start a bit off-piste, and every so often, I just basically, I've got an audience who want to have a good run for a little minute or two, but every so often, my wife, Rebecca, uh, will give me a series of questions that have been cooked up in some online quiz. The problem is that Rebecca will ask me these questions about 11 or 12 at night. So we operate in two different timetables. I'm a morning person, one of those weird people who loves to get up in the morning, get a coffee. That, for me, is the golden part of the day. Rebecca comes alive um, really about midnight. So she's <laughs> fully awake and I'm trying to sleep. So you can imagine my responses. Okay? Questions like, would you rather spend time alone or time at a party? Well... I'm trying to sleep, Okay, so I would prefer to spend time alone and I would prefer for that phone to go away and possibly prefer for you to go away if you don't stop asking me these questions. What's your least favourite thing to do on a date? Well, when you're being asked that at 12 o'clock at night, the answer is obvious, an online personality quiz. Um, If you had a day totally to yourself, what would you do with it? This stage, really, I'm getting grumpy and uh, it's, I don't know, some sort of surky responsive. Well, I'd probably introduce your phone in this online quiz to my sledgehammer. Consequently, as Rebecca puts in these results to the online test, you can imagine the kind of kind and loving personality that's revealed in the test results. She is a lucky lady. <laughs> but tonight, the reason for saying all that is I want to explore four personalities, four characters from the Bible. Um, all lives, all people who lived and breathed and walked on earth at the time when Jesus lived and breathed and walked on earth. We'll look specifically at how Jesus interacted with them and then how they responded to that. And as I read about these four people who have lives that are interwoven, so they all meet each other, they're all together at one time, it struck me that we all have really different personalities. And as we name these characters and as we learn about them, Consider which person you can most relate to. You might have an affinity with one, two, three of these characters. It's a bit like tonight we're doing a personality quiz, only instead of it being just for fun, and uh, hopefully it's not a drag, um, but instead of it being you know, just for fun or for a bit of silliness, hopefully tonight this is something that will help us to consider and develop our relationship with God. So we're going to begin um, by looking at Luke chapter 10 and just four verses. And as you open your Bible to Luke chapter 10 and starting at verse 38, um, I'll just pray. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to look at your word. And we pray that you would bless us, help me, Lord, as I try to open up the Bible and explain what's here and share the thoughts that you've excited me and excited me about and uncovered and Lord, we pray that this will be a blessing for us and a challenge to you. Pray this in your name. Amen. So Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Now, as they, that's Jesus and his disciples, went on their way, Jesus entered a village, the village of Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So there's our first character, Martha. And she had a sister called Mary, our second character, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching so Martha welcomed Mary sat and listened but Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him to Jesus and she said Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her then to help me but the Lord answered her Martha Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion." Which will not be taken away from her. From these from these four verses, weren't it just our first two characters? Mary and Martha and their sisters. And from what we can collate looking at the Bible, it seems that Jesus had built a friendship with Mary and Martha and the members of this household. And as he visited a town called Bethany, he would call in from time to time. And Mary and Martha are sisters. That says a lot, doesn't it? A relationship with a sibling. It's a deep relationship. But isn't it funny that you can slag off your brother or your sister, but nobody else can do it? <laughs> Not in your company. And this passage helps us to see a real contrast in these two sisters' personalities. So let's start with Martha. Martha serves. In Max Licato's book, Cast of Characters, he describes Martha as a bass drum. So imagine kind of going back to the 12th, that big lamb, big drum or a bass drum, a steady, reliable beat. She is practical. She gets things done. Martha sees what needs to be done, and she's like the energizer bunny. You know the ad bunny? You know the adverts on TV? The Duracell bunny, the energizer bunny? I can't remember which one it is, but they're always getting things done, getting it done yesterday. Martha's one of those people, if she was alive today in Northern Ireland, you would visit her house. She would be out at the car with a brawley. She would usher you, you over the threshold, take your coat, show you to your seat, and before you had time to get your seat warm, she would have a cup of tea in on one side, in one hand, and a triangle of chicken and grape sandwiches in the other hand, probably with an accompanying tray in Northern Ireland, probably at 15. And she would give that to you whether you wanted it or not. She was a host, a server. She looked after people. But joking aside, there's a lot to be said for Martha. In fact, every church needs a Martha. Every church needs many Marthas. And sometimes it's not until a Martha is missing that we realise how much they do. And SISM teams need Marthas. In church, if a Martha doesn't appear, that's when we realise just how much they do. The gates are locked. The heat isn't on. The computer isn't loaded and we're all sitting waiting. It's a family service and the sports hall hasn't been set up. There's no tea or traybicks. Traybicks. Where is the key to open that door? Where does the cleaning equipment even stay? How do I turn on this mic? The list goes on. But in this story, we can see how Martha stresses so much about every detail that she misses the original purpose of inviting Jesus around. Martha focused so much on her list of jobs, her mission that she forgot about her master. It's like focusing on every detail of Christmas, making sure that the presents are perfectly wrapped, that the tree is just immaculate and way better than your neighbours, that the glasses are brimmed with slur, and the turkey is, well, is a turkey ever moist? But as moist as it can be, and yet forgetting all about the birth of Jesus Christ. She focused on the mission, forgot the master. Martha's stress reaches a boiling point. The sweat has broken her brow. Can you imagine the scene? Her cheeks are flushed, her glances at Mary, her sister, and you're allowed to have these glances with your sister, and you become more and more irate. She desperately is trying to catch her eye, and finally it spills over. Martha interrupts, potentially interrupts, Jesus. In frustration, she asks Jesus, and this is paraphrasing, but don't you care that I've been abandoned to the kitchen while Mary just sits there? Do something, Jesus. Tell her to give me a hand. She's being lazy. Imagine the scene. Martha interrupts. Martha erupts. What happens in the room? It's one of those awkward scenarios, isn't it? Somebody has just lost it. Does the room fall silent? Do they look at their shoes? Or do they not know where to look? Well, did they have shoes? They have their, their feet, their sandals? In what tone does Jesus reply? How does Mary feel being called out in front of their guest? Jesus' response might have been harsh. Perhaps he said, Martha, Martha, in an exasperated tone. But Eugene Peterson doesn't think that in his uh, paraphrase of the Bible, the message, and nor do I. He writes, Martha, dear Martha. It implies that Jesus understands Martha's heart. He understands that it's in the right place but she's got caught up in her personality type it being that L bunny and making sure that all of her ducks are sitting in a row and jesus gently rebukes martha and encourages her to remember what it's all about why did you invite me to your house it's me says jesus i'm the reason i'm the focus tonight let's consider Martha's interaction with Jesus across these four verses on a personal level, how does it contrast with our lives? If you think of Martha's personality type, does that ring any bells with you? I recognize it in my life. In the busyness of my own life in 2023, 2023 years later than when this story took place, at times the demands of living life today can seem relentless. Working a job and being a father and looking at finances and letters and emails and social media and trying to be up to speed with all the latest things that are happening and even cutting the grass for fear that someone would see it being too long. Putting diesel in the car, trying to get clothes that are at least acceptable in society. It can feel like a juggling act. And where life, as you're juggling, continues to throw in another ball and another ball to already tired arms. And in all the busyness, it's almost unavoidable that something will drop. That you've missed an email, or a deadline has expired, or the bin wasn't right for collection on time, and now it reeks. Oh, not having all your ducks sitting in a row can be agitating, and Martha was agitated. The problem is though, what happens when life gets really busy? In honesty, and with rather red cheeks, I am guilty of cutting back on my quiet time. Instead of having a proper time with God, it might be supplemented with a quick verse. And this just won't do. Reading this passage has reminded me that God is my daily bread. Not just my bread, but my daily bread. In Matthew 4 and 4, it says, it is not possible for man to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the ironic thing is that when we take time to meet Jesus and we carve time out of our busy timetables to actually sit and meet with Jesus, life, where there's less time of it now, less time available, seems less busy. And juggling each of those items seems lighter. In Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 to 30 and it was read this morning it says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remembering God as sovereign of my to-do lists makes him more manageable. Holding something up in the light of eternity and asking does this have any kingdom value helps us to get rid of things that just just simply aren't important and this is a brilliant quote that's coming up um on the next slide it's from a purpose-driven life do you remember that book by rick warren and and he writes this i really like it it is impossible to do everything that people want you to do you just have enough time to do god's will and that's it That's all you've got time for. If you can't get it all done, it means that you're trying to do more than God intended for you to do or possibly that you're watching too much television. Would it have been possible for Martha to do less? It's lovely to be lavish and over the top and to put on a spread when guests come around, but did she need it all? Was there something that she could have cut back on? And more importantly, are there any areas of our life that can be reduced or need to be cut away to make time for Jesus. Chatting in the room at large, but particularly with schism and the demographic of schism in mind, what about social media? How much time in the week do you spend on social media? And how much time do you spend in God's word? And I'm asking myself that question too. So you know, I was chatting a while ago with a Presbyterian minister Um, who described the greatest threat to his church today as Netflix. Genuinely, Netflix. He said, we are putting on events and competing with Netflix, and we can't beat it. Isn't that sad? And on a SISM team, this next couple of weeks, what is more important doing your quiet time or staging the most awesome fantastic practical joke now look i am all up for the practical jokes but if possible i would actually implore you to do both but complete the quiet time first you've got to get grounded to do god's work in this next two weeks service is gritty it's tough it's tiring and sometimes i think we elevate jesus in this kind of amazing scenario but when you read the bible jesus set the example he might have at times made it look easy, but when we looked to the scriptures, it was gritty and tough and tiring. Jesus is the ultimate reality of being a servant. He is God in man who washed the feet of his disciples. He humbled himself to be mocked and beaten and spat at without retaliating, without a snide word back. And perhaps most impressively, Jesus gave himself up to death on a cross, which we know he asked if there was any way that could be taken from him. And he endured the cross holding back angel armies in service of humanity. Sometimes Christianity is sold as a prayer. It's like a golden ticket that buys your way into heaven. And then you're safe and you can just go on living life. But true Christianity is a life of service modelled by Jesus. It's service, our lives, in service for the one we love. It's a service of our life from a place of gratitude and love. It's not out of burden. It shouldn't be a hassle. If we love him, we do it from a place of gratitude and love. And what we do now in our lives of service affects our eternity. And it is hard not to be lazy, and it is hard to put your shoulder to the plow. But this life is the warm-up for the real thing. It's like the warm-up before the match. We have time now, which is really a blip compared to eternity. So investing the hard yards now will yield not just reward, but everlasting reward. (coughs) And that's Martha. Please don't panic. She's the one who we w- we're going to go into most. So for time, don't, don't be stressing. think we've got three more. We'll be a lot faster. So the next character, what of Mary? Okay. Now, Mary was just sitting there when Martha tended to the guests. It would be very easy to argue that she should have been more aware of her sister's workload. It would be easy to argue that Mary is lazy or self-centered. But before we go down that track, Jesus puts that train of thought out of question. In fact, he states that Mary needs no rebuke. In the Bible, it says there, Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. In other words, Mary's doing the right thing, and I'm not going to correct her, Martha. She doesn't need it. Now, Mary does two things, two verbs, all right? So, here's a teacher for me, but can you find the verbs in this sentence? Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened. Can you see them there? She sat and she listened. And those two verbs tell us a lot about Mary's focus. In those times, disciples would have sat at the feet of a teaching rabbi. It was a sign of respect. So you sat down and they were elevated above you. And Mary is showing here, even in her body language, Jesus' respect. And she's brought herself to stillness. She's taking the time to hang on to every word that Jesus says and treasure it. That's not lazy. That's purposeful. That's deliberate. That's conscious. We need Marys to remind us of what's important. They bring us into a place of appreciation. They put the passion in worship. When you come to church on a Sunday, it's the Marys who encourage us to abandon the endless lists. Now, I'll not let you get you to do this, but if I was to say, right, put your hand up. Who comes to church and struggles with, as they sit in the seat and someone is speaking, with a a constant barragement of, how did the last week go? What have I got to do this week? What do I need to do as soon as I get home from church today? That happens, doesn't it? But Mary's encourage us to abandon those endless lists of what needs to be done and to step back and just admire God's sovereignty over it all, his beauty, to actually worship, to stop and sit and listen. By contrast to Martha's bass drum, Matt describes Mary as a flute soaring lightly above the humdrum of life. And in this passage, and the second passage, I only one more. Mary's acts of worship are ridiculed. Jesus admires them, but they are ridiculed by the other people in the room. As lazy by Martha, and in the next passage, as extravagant. And other worshippers in the Bible met ridicule too. David, as he danced before the Lord with all his mights on the streets when the Ark of the Covenant returned. I love that. Just dancing around. He'd forgotten it all. Just praising God through his dance. You really do not want to see me do that. <laughs> but his wife, Michael, called on one side and, and gave him a good telling off and said it looked completely unregal. It was undignified. But Jesus loved it. One of the, I, I just love this verse and um I kind of keep coming back to it. I think every time I speak, it just slips itself in. But in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, we read The Lord your God is in the midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you with loud singing. In other words, Jesus loves that Mary is worshipping him, and his response, phenomenally, is this rejoice of worship he sings back he is delighted it's what we're made for we're made to worship god and when we do it it brings him so much delight he sings with gladness so what about mary when we put her personality into our personality test when we consider her interaction with jesus how do we compare when was the last time that you were still and meditated in jesus that you actually stopped be still and know that i am god you stopped and meditated in jesus in schism this week there is a real challenge to slow down long enough to worship and that might sound strange because you've got two weeks of you know serving god but service practical service is different from worship Make sure that there's a heart of worship in there. Would you ever describe your worship as extravagant? Do you think there are any areas of your life that Jesus rejoices as you worship him? When did that last happen? Mary sees things through a micro lens. Sorry, Martha sees things through a micro lens. She's really close in on them. Mary, this macro lens... Isn't it interesting how these two personalities complement each other? Both are needed in life, and both need each other. Now, we'll turn to our second and final Bible passage. This is in John chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 1. In John 11, it was the death and resurrection of Lazarus. So Lazarus died. He was dead four days, and he came back to life. It's a phenomenal chapter in the Bible. And then in John chapter 12, we begin... Now, John chapter 12 is another story about Jesus in Bethany meeting in this same house, but this time there are two other people that were made aware of. Uh, so try and see as we read if you can figure out who they are. This story is about a month. Bible scholars kind of tried to figure out. They reckon it was about a month after Lazarus came back to life. So Lazarus, dead, came back to life. Four weeks later, round about there, we begin. Let's break in in John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Isn't that awesome? Martha didn't take Jesus' rebuke and go, do you know what? I'm going to throw the toys out the pram, stuff that. I'm not serving. Mary, you're on it next time. I'm going to sit at his feet. I'll get the crowed. Mother near new skill set. She served, but this time with a different heart. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So we've got extravagant worship. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, the fragrance of worship. Verse 4. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Verse 9, the plot to kill Lazarus. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus the very first uh, verse we read there you probably picked up on the other two characters is Lazarus Lazarus is mentioned he's the, the brother of Mary and Martha so they're all living under one roof wouldn't that be interesting growing up two brothers and a sister the dynamics there and as I said in the previous chapter we have that amazing story of his death and resurrection and there's about a month that t- that, that passed until this starts and Mike Zaccato, where he describes Martha as a bass drum and Mary as a flute Lazarus He describes him as a trumpet. Lazarus has spent the last month proclaiming and testifying about being raised from the dead. Now, he has a story, and he is not afraid to share it. Imagine listening to Lazarus for real. Like, how exciting would this be? Eyes full of life. They're dancing. Body literally full of life. Having been dead four days, utterly convinced. He's reeling in the aftershock of coming back to life. This is arguably Jesus' greatest miracle, shy of his own death and resurrection. And Lazarus testifies, he trumpets about his experience of dying and Jesus' power in bringing him back to life. Some of the people in the community, as he would be telling this, proclaiming it, exclaiming it, would be able to go, yeah, I was there, I was at the wick. He was definitely dead. Some of them would say, "I, I was actually there when he came out of the tomb. He had linen strips and a cloth over his face. It was hard to believe. And he was definitely dead. Like 100%. There was no breath there. The colour was gone from him. Cold. And here he is in front of us. Lazarus' message? That Jesus has power over death. Therefore, Jesus has power over sin. Jesus is the son of God. Lazarus was not messing about. He was clear. He was emphatic. His message, eternal life, can be found through Jesus. In verses 9 to 11, we can see just how convincing Lazarus was because many of the Jews were going over and believing in Jesus. And that really agitated the chief priests. It agitated them so much that they were plotting to kill Lazarus. See, trumpets have the ability to raise the roof. Trumpets have personalities that proclaim Jesus in a powerful and convincing way. They play front and center but that means that they are open to ridicule. I had a friend, uh, I have a friend, who played the trumpet growing up. And in church, when he struck up, that was the instrument you heard. Okay? And especially before he got like a muffler, but before that, I mean, it filled every corner of the church. And he was really good at the trumpet, correct to him. But if there was a single wrong note, there's nowhere to hide in a trumpet. Thankfully, it's not so with a guitar. Um, but if you're front and centre, you're open to ridicule. Lazaruses need to be sure-footed in the gospel because their pro- proclamations are often met with backlash. And we see that if there's any Christian who stands up in society. you see how society comes back at them? I recently heard a minister explain that the power of preaching comes from a right relationship with God unlike other professions where you can share advice but you don't have any requirement to, to actually live it. Um, for example, if you go to the doctor, the doctor could have a horrible diet and be diabetic but that doesn't stop them from giving you sound advice on how to deal with diabetes. But preaching is different. You've got to live it. You've got to believe it. You've got to have integrity in your Christian walk. It starts on the inside. And if there is sin that is unconfessed, it obstructs preaching as you're airing it. It doesn't have the power. It's like prayer, the prayer of a righteous man. Well, there's an inversion there. What about the prayers of an unrighteous man? They lack power. God gives us moments of trumpeting in our life. It might be just... a. an encounter in work or coming across someone in life but usually if we look at it kind of subjectively usually trumpeting or moments of trumpeting are connected with moments of trial where we are listened to more than we would usually be listened to there's an opportunity there when i was 14 my younger sister passed away as many of you know but that gave me a very unique opportunity at school where I was asked to share my testimony with the year group. So I did that, and I wouldn't say I'm any great uh, person speaking or giving testimonies or anything, but that happened, and I believe that that was an opportunity that was in front of me, so I did my best. For my 30th birthday, um, my wife, Rebecca, asked a few people to record a video of, of different things. Um, about me and, and, and memories that we had, and one of my friends, who's never said to me in person, in that video, talked about how that had spoke to him. You don't need to be an amazing trumpeter, but if we have a moment to trumpet, God is trusting us to take that and to use it. And at SISM this week, there will be unique opportunities with kids in who usually don't come in the doors of a church or or perhaps hear the gospel to share Jesus. God is trusting you with that. And tragedy has touched our church at times. Um, We know that. Um, There are different people who, who trumpet loudly to me with how they deal with things that have impacted their health or how they've went through a tough time To mention one specifically, um, and hope Andy doesn't mind it, but Diana and those nights of worshiping when she had cancer, that there was something so uniquely Christian in that, wasn't there? That in the midst of cancer and turmoil, that certainly trumpeted to me that we could join together and sing songs to God and know that he's sovereign and above it all. And no matter what happened, we know that she did then pass away, but no matter what happened, whether she would was to go on living or if cancer was to take her, that she would go, life wouldn't stop, she would go to heaven, she would continue, that trumpeted loudly. That was a very unique trial that gave a very special moment. On a slightly lighter note, uh, much lighter note, but... Um, Rebecca kind of made me laugh because I was sharing what I was going to talk about and talking about Lazarus and talking about these last verses and can you imagine what happened You know, maybe somebody came to Lazarus and said Look, Lazarus do you mind if we, we chat and quieter I was in town there and I was listening to some of the Jews and apparently the chief priests are not a bit happy with you having all these people turned over to Jesus you know they're talking about the worst Lazarus they're plotting to kill you can you imagine the twinkle in Lazarus's eye Death doesn't scare me. I've already done it. <laughs> Do you know, wow. Lazarus was fearless. The final character, um, I'll be quick, who is in this passage, is Judas. In verses four to six, Judas's heart is revealed. He didn't care two cents about the poor. Let's be honest. He wanted to embezzle some of the three hundred denarii to line his own pocket. Judas, though. Let's contrast him with the other three characters we've looked at. Judas is introduced as Judas Iscariot, and he has the best title of all, one of his disciples. That is a tremendous honour to have that after afternoon. Some of us go to uni and we strive to get letters after our name. <coughs> you don't get better than that. One of his disciples. Judas, more than anyone else that we've looked at so far, had a unique character study of Jesus. He had a phenomenal academic uh, knowledge of what jesus did he watched it firsthand for three years observing his ministry bearing witness to jesus's power his miracles his personality his character and yet with all of that judas's god was money so let's contrast him to martha a life of service in some ways judas wins Martha served a meal. Judas served for three years. He left everything to follow Jesus around. If you were to look at Judas, he he had an incredible resume. He certainly looked like a Christian. He used his skills as as an accountant to be in charge of the money. But then the heart of it, the rot sets in. He felt like he was entitled to some compensation for all this hard work, for all this service. Well, what about Mary and her character of worship? Where does Judas rank with that? Well, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Judas, we don't know this, but Judas probably sat at Jesus' feet because Jesus was his rabbi. He was his disciple. But then the rot sets in. The heart is exposed. Because he's so annoyed at extravagant worship. Judas had a limit to his worship. And what about contrasting Judas to Lazarus? Well, Judas had a unique platform, so did Lazarus. But can you imagine if we could bring just one of the disciples back to life today and we would say, right, there's going to be a special event on at the church. There's a disciple who's come back to life. They're going to come, they're going to speak, and there's going to be a Q&A that church would be packed. I would, I would get on a plane to go there, no question. Imagine being able to ask, like I know this story in the Bible, but I've always had this itching question about it. What did that actually look like? What did Jesus look like? What was that like? What were the crowd like? What was the response? There's so many questions. Judas would be a tremendously interesting person to speak to, but we see the proclamation The trumpet of Judas resounds through the generations as a warning about having a head knowledge of Jesus, but no heart. Judas gave this phenomenal impression of being a Christian. He fooled almost everyone, not Jesus. He looked more like a Christian than really any of us do, but he never grasped it. The timing of this second passage is really interesting. It takes place six days before the Passover. In the coming weeks after this event, Judas would place money over Jesus, so much at the fore that it would spill over, o- over into the open. He would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and would go on to hang himself. Judas's personality is the challenge in this talk. For anyone who is a camouflage christian a head knowledge of jesus is not enough he wants your heart that's actually all he wants first samuel chapter 16 verse 7b says man looks at the outward appearance god looks at the heart just quickly judas Had gone to Jesus. If he had gone to Jesus, I genuinely believe Jesus would have given him a second chance. There's a fantastic quote here from Robin Jones Gunn, who writes different books and they're they're very good. But here it is: When it comes to God, we can't run out of second (coughs) chances. Only time. We have second chances until we take our last breath. We have to use them. If you're a camouflaged Christian, this is calling you out you need to get your heart right so let's close let's finish jesus uniquely created our personalities in first corinthians chapter 12 12 to 31 he describes all the various parts of the body and sism this week there's going to be people with all different gifts and talents and they all need to pull together for the common goal the common glory of Jesus' glory it describes how we're all different and all of those differences are needed We're bespokely designed for his purpose and for his work, be it a bass drum, a flute, a trumpet, or parts of those personalities or or another instrument that we haven't mentioned, another personality type. We have been created for a specific role. We've been placed in a specific uh, position, a setting, and we've been born into and living in a specific time. You're exactly who and where God ordained you to be before the creation of this world. And fulfilling that role, is our life's purpose. That is our chief end. But we must fulfill our role with a heart of worship. I just want to finish with this song. Um, Lots of you might know it. It's uh, When the Music Fades. Um, The title of the song is I'm Coming Back to the Heart of Worship. When the music fades, all is stripped away and I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. And this is the crux. You you search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And the invitation is here tonight, not from me. Um, I've explained it. The invitation is from Jesus. Can you say, Or will you say, if you're a camouflaged Christian, or if you have been caught up in the busyness of life, or if your trumpeting has not been loud enough, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Amen.